0: Welcome to R slash Pro Revenge, where OP plays a reverse Uno card on a scamming Karen. Our next Reddit post is from Real Sailor Jim. I'm not sure if this is strictly pro revenge, but then I'm not sure if it's malicious compliance either, so I'm just posting it here. Background This was back in the 1990s. I'd recently been medically retired from the military and I was attending college in Texas. My wife was working in her chosen field while I did my level best to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Anyway, one day I left campus, going around the backside to avoid traffic. I was heading over to pick up my wife for lunch, and I ended up sitting behind another car at a stop sign. The car in front of me was a brand new Chevy, one of their little sexy models in candy apple red, being driven by a fairly young blonde, also a little sexy model. There I sat, an old sailor in an old pickup, just listening to the radio and thinking about lunch, when the Chevy drove into the intersection and then stopped. I didn't think anything of it, so I hadn't done more than put my hand on the gear shift in preparation of pulling up, when suddenly, with a suitable squeal of tire, the Chevy shot back at me. I slapped the shift into reverse, but I was too late. The little Chevy smashed into the front of my truck around 25 30 miles per hour. After a second, I cut my engine, got out of the cab, and walked around to the front of my truck. The good news was that I could see that I wasn't going to have to worry about that loose belt squeal anymore. The bad news is that the front of my little pickup was pretty much totaled. The grill was pushed back into the radiator, water was all over the pavement, my headlights were smashed. I bent down, and I noted that there seemed to be oil leaking as well. With a sigh of total incomprehension, I walked further up to the passenger door of the little red Chevy and its blonde driver. I was pissed, but not enraged. I guess I was still trying to figure out exactly what had happened and why she ended up stopping mid-turn and putting her car in reverse like that. I looked through the tinted window and she was on the phone, talking agitatedly to someone. With all the cell phone silliness I'd seen since leaving the military, seeing her yapping on one really didn't surprise me, although had I thought about it, I should have wondered who exactly she was calling. Instead, I tapped on the window and she turned her face to me. Then she screamed into the phone, loud enough to penetrate the glass. Oh my god, he's got a tire iron! Naturally, I spun around and looked behind me. Then the nickel dropped. I turned in a slow circle, and I noted there were no businesses, houses, or apartments in view. Nor was anyone on the sidewalks or walking down the roads. For that matter, the only traffic was several blocks away in any direction. Her little car was sitting at the stop sign, almost exactly where it had been when I pulled in behind her. I stepped back to look at our vehicles, and yep, it looked for all the world as if I had rear-ended her. Man, this woman had set me up. I quickly walked back to my truck, thinking as fast as I could. Any minute now, a police car was going to show up, called by a little blonde woman expecting to find a crazed man with a tire iron and I dearly needed to not be that man. I pulled my tire iron out from behind my seat and threw it as far as I could into a nearby field. Then I jumped into my truck. It was a slim chance, but it was the only hope I had. I made sure the truck was in reverse, belted myself in, and slammed my face into the steering wheel. I opened my door. I could hear the sirens in the distance, and I half slumped out the open door at an uncomfortable angle. I went limp just as the police car screeched to a halt. I ignored the policeman screaming at me to get out of the truck, trusting that my limp body wouldn't move him to open fire. He finally edged his way over, noticed my bloody nose, tugged at an eyelid. I made sure that my eyes were well rolled up, and then let me drop back into position. I stayed limp while he checked on the blonde, who was near hysterical with fright over the lunatic with a tire iron. Until she saw me, that is. I'd hoped that her rearview mirror was as off as it looked, or that she'd be too involved with concocting her own story to notice what I was doing. When she saw my body hanging limply below the driver's door of my truck, she stammered to a halt. A second set of sirens had been getting closer, and the policeman told the now silent blonde to stay in her car. A few seconds later, someone cut me out of my seatbelt and laid me on the ground. A competent set of hands checked my vitals, and within a few seconds, a harsh and demanding smell flooded my clotting nose. I fought it for a few seconds, and made a pretty good display of a man coming around after having been knocked out. I immediately threw myself to the side, and then stopped, half being restrained and half wildly staring around trying to figure out what was happening. The medic sat back when I sat up, looked at the front end of my truck, and moaned, What the F did that idiot do to my truck? He told me to lie back down, and he started asking me professional questions about where I hurt, could I feel my toes, and all that crap. Every few seconds, I would look back at the wreck and mutter about the idiot backing up like that, and what the hell she'd been smoking, little bits of angry stuff like that. The policeman, having gotten the blonde statement, walked over to me and asked me if I felt up to talking. I said I felt fine, just a little sore. The medic okayed the situation and helped me to my feet. I gave the officer my license, proof of insurance, and included my retired military ID card. Then I sat on my front seat, and as if I'd just noticed it, I asked, what happened to my seatbelt? He explained that I had to be cut out of it, and I shrugged. I said, just another item for his insurance company to pay for, I guess. What the hell is his story, officer? Why did he back up that way? The policeman looked sharply at me and asked me what I meant. I described exactly what had happened, but I concealed the fact that I knew that it was a female driving the Chevy, and I kept referring to her as him. After I got done and he finished writing everything down, he asked me if I had any proof. Proof? What do you mean proof? I frowned at him. Then I let my jaw drop a bit. Hey, wait a minute. You're not telling me that that guy, that that idiot is saying that I did this, are you? He admitted that the other driver's story was that I'd rear-ended her, not him, and then that I'd threatened her with a tire iron. I frowned again, and I informed him that I didn't have a tire iron, that my tire iron was sitting at the garage of my house a couple of hours away. I moved aside as he searched the cab of my truck, and I caught a lucky break when he noticed, without my having to point it out to him, that the truck was still in reverse. He got out of my cab, frowning, then asked me to stay where I was and walked up to the Chevy. He then asked the blonde to step out of her car, and when she'd done so, he leaned into the open driver's side door. After a few seconds, he stood back up and he asked the girl to repeat her statement of what happened. It was a marvelously teary bit of acting, but she almost blew it by being somewhat puzzled when he didn't react. Instead, he asked her to describe everything that happened after the accident. She backed down from the tire iron story, saying that it might have simply been a reflection on her window. But she insisted that I had at least beaten on her window and that I had simply been putting on an act for their benefits. The policeman looked over at the medic, who slowly shook his head. My years of doing search and rescue might not have done much good for me physically, but I sure as hell know what an unconscious man acts like. The policeman then asked her if she had tried to drive away or if she had immediately shut off her engine. She said that her engine had died, no matter what lies I'd said, and that she would never try to leave the scene of an accident. The policeman nodded once and asked the medic to step over. He then asked the medic to sit in the Chevy and confirmed that it was in reverse. When I last saw the little blonde woman, she was honestly crying. She was also handcuffed and being driven away, arrested for making a false police report, some legal mumbo-jumbo about trying to run a con, and, my favorite assault and battery. Once she realized that she'd blown it, about the same instant she was handcuffed, she started weeping and explaining that she didn't have the money for the payments on her car and that her only option was to fake an accident, but that I'd been faking too and I hadn't been injured. You gotta believe me, I wouldn't lie about that. I signed my name to an almost letter-perfect statement of events over at the police station, being careful to never mention in my own statement about how my nose got banged up, or how I ended up unconscious and hanging out of the door. The arresting officer's report, as well as the EMTs, had already noted that it appeared that I'd either been partially ejected by the impact, or I might have been trying to get out of the truck at the last moment. It turns out that her car insurance was good, however, and they paid for my little pickup's repair. The damage wasn't as bad as it originally looked, thank God. A little front-end work, a new radiator and assorted other dinged and dented gizmos, a little cosmetic surgery to make her outside look right once more, and hell, the mechanic even tossed in a full overhaul, including fixing that damned fan belt. I had to drive a loner for the next week, also taken care by the blonde's insurance. And the irony of this will make you laugh, it was a little red Chevy. It was a nice car, and my wife had a ball riding it, but it was way too expensive for a guy like me to drive every day. Hell, a car that nice might have made me try something stupid to make the payments. Down in the comments, we have this story from Wafer. There was this case on Judge Judy several years ago. A girl was suing a woman, saying the woman rear-ended her at a gas station. Fake tears. She went on and on about her traumatized babies in the backseat and how the woman screamed and swore at her. Totally playing up the victim card. Until the other woman pulled out the surveillance video from over the gas pumps, right above their cars. These videos showed that she was completely stopped and little Chicky Poo reversing and slamming full throttle into her. The girl went dead white and could only stammer, Uh, um, uh. Yeah, she lost. Our next Reddit post is from Ceramic Seminar. Throughout the year, I had noisy and thoughtless neighbors. They would often have loud parties that would go to the early hours of the morning. They were all in university and of Indian descent. This becomes important later on. I'd called the cops, the apartment manager, nobody would do anything about it. I was losing sleep, and my work was becoming affected as well. I'd spoken to them directly, and they completely disregarded me and refused to just shut the f up. This went on for months, and I was writing out my lease to move somewhere else. One day, I'm sitting watching TV on a nice spring day, and I have my windows wide open, and I hear one of the neighbor's friends come over. The friend asks if he's coming out, and he says no, he needs to study for an important test that he's taking the next day. This little snippet of information was all that I needed. His friend leaves, and he closes the door. I then took out my speakers and put them up against the wall where I knew that his desk was. There were balconies outside, so I could often see him studying, and I began to blare death metal straight into the wall. I put on my noise-canceling headphones, and I just blasted it as loud as possible for hours. My landlord actually ended up coming into my apartment because I didn't hear him knocking, and obviously he's flipping out, but I'm like, meh, you never did anything when I complained, so good luck. Call the cops. My lease was due to end anyway, and I was leaving the state, so screw you guys. So the landlord leaves, and I'm still amped up on adrenaline, so I leave it quiet for maybe 20 minutes, and then I just intermittently start blasting music. The neighbor comes over irate, screaming that he has this big test, and he's got to pass it. Apparently he's a medical student, and I just laughed in his face and said, I don't hear anything. He then makes a fantastic mistake which was telling me that he didn't just have a final tomorrow, but it was finals week. Oh, great. That means his week is going to be super stressful. Plus, I can continue doing this every night for the rest of the week. I set my alarm to go off every 30 minutes, and I would bang on the walls with a hammer and blast music. Honestly, I was going a bit crazy myself as well, but that didn't matter because I was messing with this guy's life. Around day three of no sleep for anyone, he comes over screaming about how, in India, his family would disown him for all this nonsense, which just made me laugh, and I just said the same thing over and over, that I didn't hear any music, and I think it's coming from somewhere else. I basically just started gaslighting him, acting really nice when he came over in a rage. That weekend, the landlord gave me some BS notice that I had to leave, which I was fine with because he broke my lease and I wanted to get out anyway, so I got my deposit back. On the last morning I was there, I was moving out, and I knocked on the dickhead neighbor's door at like 8am, and I asked him if he wanted this old air conditioner I was going to throw out otherwise. He was totally in a daze, and I don't know if he really understood what was happening any longer. Anyway, hopefully I messed up his life, and his future a bit. He should have just shut the F up when I told him numerous times. Our next Reddit post is from Log Leader. I used to work at Wendy's as a manager. It was already a sucky job, but my general manager was nice, and most employees were easy to deal with. All of this started when I was already working about 65 hours a week. I was offered a $100 bonus to work on one of my only days off. I decided to do it, and later that week, before I'd even been paid, I was asked to come in again. I said, this time, I would like $150, because at this point, I've worked almost 23 days without any days off. They said they'd do it, so, and I went. Cut forward three weeks. I've been asking about my money for a while now. I'm told by my general manager that I could speak with my district manager as he would be in later that night. The conversation goes like, hey, do you know what's going on with my bonus? I'm owed $250 for both those days. The district manager said, well, that's why I came here. The store's been having trouble making money. So basically, he's telling me that my performance isn't good enough. At this point, I'm working the dinner rush the whole night with me and three other people. My girlfriend, my best friend, and another friend that I've gotten close with. He said, Your shift isn't making as much money as other shifts, and your drive time is higher. Well, we're doing all we can. It takes us extra time when we only have half the number of people with the same number of customers. That's really no excuse! Uh, when am I gonna receive my bonus? My district manager is a very sheepish man, so he was very obviously scared when he told me this. We can't give you a bonus until the revenue rises and the drive time goes down. I am speechless at this point. The rest of the conversation was a blur. I grew up on the south side. You do not mess with people's money. A day passes. I've had time to collect myself and speak to my entire crew. Everyone agrees to walk out with me. So, I call my district manager. The phone starts to ring, but then it cuts off. He declined my call. So, I called him again, and again, and again. Finally, I just leave him a voicemail. Look, Jacob, you need to talk to me. You have until 8.45 to call me back, or all the night crew is done. At this point, it's 7.30. I go into my office and start watching my boss's email. She leaves her email open and logged in, so I figured he would probably email her before calling me. I watched this email for about 20 minutes, and then boom, an email pops up with the subject emergency OP. This idiot put my name in the email, so of course I read it. Long story short, in the email, it was him trying to make sure that my general manager was going to be ready to go to work. As in, he wasn't going to call me or give me my money. So I got all my people together and we walked out, leaving everything out. All the meat, all the toppings, the fryer, everything. The next day I turn in my keys. About a week later, I get a call from my brother who also works at that store. What's up? Jacob's lost all of his stores. He has to go back to Indiana. And if you don't know this, the district manager's pay is based on the amount of stores they have and how much money they make. When he moved to Indiana, his wages got reduced from $65,000 to around $40,000. All this for $250. This is for sure a well-executed pro-revenge OP, but the main thing about this story that I just can't get over is I'm shocked that, what is this, a Wendy's? I'm shocked that a district manager for a Wendy's makes $65,000. I thought for sure for sure a district manager covering multiple stores would be making at least six figures. That was our slash pro revenge. And if you like this content, be sure to follow my podcast because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.